You're listening to the Platsky Corner, your podcast on the Capital Region sports news and interviews. Welcome into the Platsky Corner. Joey Platsky alongside my brother Jason here for episode three. Great episode three, Ed, highlighted by an interview with Gilderland grad, now QB1 and captain at RPI, George Marinopoulos, got around the five. Lots of local college football to catch up, to catch you up on. And we also have some guys from the Capital Region holding it down, down in Atlanta. But before we get into all that, Jason, how are we doing today? Another great episode ahead. Joe, it's awesome to be here. Another great uh, interview, like you said, with George Marinopoulos. He's been my QB1 for a long time, my uh, class of 2017 Gilderland quarterback. And uh, He's had a heck of a football career put together, so it was good to talk to him earlier this week and another exciting episode uh, on the way. Jay, let's get into around the five here. Let's talk some RPI football. Two Saturdays ago, October 9th, the RPI engineers defeated a winless Buffalo State team 24-16 to to improve to 6-0 on the year. This was a game that Buffalo State should have won. They had more offensive yards, first downs, and possession time, but had a number of drives stall out after five or six plays, and they ultimately ran out of, out of time, scoring their only two touchdowns of the day on their last two possessions. Yeah, big win for RPI. We uh, talked about this been, should have been a, a big win for them going into uh, their week six game, uh, looking to go 6-0. and And they barely hold on against Buffalo State. Buffalo State had a couple of good drives or a number of good drives, but they ultimately only scored their, scored their two touchdowns on their last two possessions. So uh, offense had to get a whole lot going, only put up 24 points, but obviously enough to get the victory. And I think if you're the engineers, Coach Ralph over there and George Marinopoulos, the whole team, I think you're you know just excited to go 6-0 and uh, move on to what was uh, supposed to be a tough game at Hobart. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. But speaking of this game against Buffalo State, our interview today, George Marinopoulos went 15 for 21 for 194 yards and two TDs. So only throwing the ball 21 times, but good numbers there on those 15 completions and 21 attempts. And big news here, the win moved up to number 23 in the polls. So some D3 football getting some national recognition from the uh, from the capital region. Yeah, and, and George, even though he only threw for 194 yards going or after that game was you know, arguably his weakest performance of the season, he threw for you know a completion of percentage 71 and almost a half percent. So, you know, George was... You know, has been consistent all year long, had another really solid week that week. Um, and RPI football, you know, six and oh, they've, they've definitely had a number of heads turned and uh, pointed in the direction of their program. And, you know, well-deserved um, when you're six and oh, I think, you know, it's time to get some people talking and it was good to see them break into the polls. Jay, now RPI recently faced some struggles. It, w- it was a big win to get them into those nationally ranked polls. But this past Saturday, October 16th was a different story. RPI fell in a very low-scoring affair, 10-9 to at Hobart. Hobart dominated all facets of the game, had the ball for over 36 minutes, had 247 yards of total offense, which usually really wouldn't seem like a whole lot, but RPI only putting up 145 on the day. Yeah, for those fans uh, that are listening to this podcast in the 518 or really all around the New York area, you probably think back to this Saturday and you think, man, what a brutal weather day this was. And it extended out to Hobart, uh, out past Syracuse, where the first half was played in a torrential downpour for pretty much for the whole first half, a lot of rain. And ultimately, overall, was just not a great condition game. And ultimately, it didn't play to RPI strengths. You know, RPI is a team that really relies on both the passing and running games to kind of balance each other. And uh, neither team was able to pass the ball really well. George Marinopoulos was only 11 of 20 for 57 yards, a touchdown and two INTs, which, you know, is by far his worst game of the season, probably his worst game of his RPI career and and maybe even his kind of uh, scholastic football career, you know, dating back even years before that. And the Hobart passing game was seven of nine for 25 yards. And, you know, they're also a team that gets a good chunk of their offense from the passing game. So, you know, you can just take a look at the box score. You can see the effect that the elements had on the game and it just didn't play out in RPI's favor. And, uh, you know, it's going to be some adversity for them to face uh, as they head into their bye week. Yeah, it's shocking, really. I mean, like you said, it, it, it just speaks levels to the uh, to the weather, really. You have a 10-9 game both offenses just don't get any kind of passing game going. So tough weather conditions out there, obviously, for both teams. But 
RPI is going to look to bounce back. They host number 16 Ithaca for senior day at noon next Saturday at RPI. So the engineers will look to bounce back and maybe we can give George some good luck charm after this interview. Who knows? Yeah. And Ithaca is going to be one heck of a challenge. They are undefeated heading into this week as well. So uh, definitely will be a challenge for them, but not one that I think will be too big for the engineers. You know, they're going to be six and one going into this game. So I think that obviously shows that they have the talent to really play with anyone at the division three level. And it will be very exciting uh, for a senior day matchup where uh, hopefully some fans will get out to around the stadium over their RPS since they're not allowing fans in and support the seniors because it's well-deserved and they have had a heck of a career for the engineer football program. Yeah, without a doubt. A lot of great seniors as well as graduate students now at this point, including George. So next Saturday, get over there to uh, to the RPI field. They're going to be taking on nationally ranked Ithaca. Now, crosstown rivals here, Jay. Let's switch over to Union football. Improved to six, not oh, improved to six now after scoring the last thirty-one points and a dominating thirty-seven to seven win over St. Lawrence back on October 9th. and a great win without a doubt for for the Union College. Yeah, and uh, I had said uh, leading up into this game on uh, the episode two that was released the day before, take the over. So just depends on which book you had. You you may have had it because a forty-four number was probably a little close, but. Uh, that's, you know, a huge part if you did loss and thanks to the Union D. Uh, they only allowed 256 yards to what was an explosive St. Lawrence offense and only 4.4 yards per play. And the Union offense did what they did. Uh, they dominated the possession 35 minutes and 14 seconds to only 24.46 for St. Lawrence. So Union actually averages less time of possession per game than their opponents do this season, but came up huge uh, for them in this victory on the ninth. And, uh, man, they uh, are off to a hot start and they are definitely moving in the right direction, the, the Dutchman are. Yeah, I think you make an interesting point there about the time of possession, how usually they've, they're have they on offense less than the other teams on offense. But when they get the ball and Union wins time of possession, a dominant 37-7 to win like we just saw there. But Union coming off the bye week, an RPI going into it. So it, we'll see how, how both teams fare. The fall season really winding down here. Yeah, and it's interesting. You take a look at the rest of the Union schedule. They go to Rochester for their game tomorrow. Then they host Hobart, who just be RPI next Saturday. Then they go to Ithaca, who RPI will face as well. And then they're going to host RPI for the uh, Dutchman Shoes game um, at Frank Bailey Field uh, on the 13th. So really an exciting uh, wrap-up for Union. They'll definitely face some tough opponents. Uh, you know, can't get caught up in the game tomorrow against what's, you know, supposed to be like a little bit of a lesser opponent in Rochester, but Hey, maybe those, you know, trap games are the most dangerous at times. So got to get through the challenge tomorrow out in Rochester before you have a tough final three games uh, to wrap up the season. Yeah, Jay, I just mentioned the fall sports wrapping up. So let's talk some winter sports here. Let's transition back over to Rensselaer. Let's get into some RPI hockey here. They're off to a one, two and one start to begin the season. Three of their four games have gone to overtime. So the, the RPI engineers and they've been getting into some deep games and they tied with and then lost to Bowling Green on opening weekend before beating Canisius and then losing the next night. Yeah. So RPI kind of off to a topsy turvy start, like you said, Joe, but man, uh, I think a lot of those games go into overtime, I think shows you just the, the talent that this team has and they are willing to play close games. And I think that's going to be huge for them as they head down, you know, later into the season where they have some experience in close games, you know, late in third periods or going into overtimes. So don't think it hurts now. Maybe, you know, not so great to see the uh, extra fatigue on the legs so early in the season, but you know, nothing you can do about it. You take the experience, you move on and uh, go into the next week. And uh, they did, you know, before uh, facing Canisius, you know, they, Faced Bowling Green twice, went to overtime twice with them, and it led them to their first win against Canisius. So a little bit of a topsy-turvy start, like we said, 1-2-1, one, and one, but hopefully they get going in the right direction. And, and they've been led by Jacob Laka and TJ Walsh, two of their leaders with four points. And a guy that we mentioned in the uh, RPI Hockey Preview, Ottawa Lepinen, has two goals as well. So a lot of different guys in the uh, box scores for the RPI engineers through their first two weeks, and that's got to be – a great sight for them to really know that you have a number of different guys that you can rely on to put the puck in the net or give it to the guys to put the puck into the net. Yeah. A lot of miles on the legs early and it's pros and cons to it, obviously, just because, you know, you want to stay decently light on the legs and you don't want early season fatigue setting in and you want to limit it and kind of ease back into the game. But then on the other side of it, you're also getting experience and you're also getting 
crunch time experience and meaningful games and late in the third period and even in the overtime as well. Yeah, I think that's huge, especially for a team that, you know, didn't have a season last year and they've had a long layoff with the COVID, you know, restrictions and cancellations that, you know, if you can get some experience playing together, some gel and, and some guys, you know, either playing on some same lines or, you know, now three on three overtime being implemented into the ECAC hockey uh, it's just going to help them. And it's just going to, you know, allow them to have some experience, you know, when they get into the conference schedule um, to have some experience playing those three on three overtime games where, you know, the coaches know who may be the best to put out in those situations, you know, since they've had game experience and for some guys to build some camaraderie to play in game. And, you know, it's always a lot better playing the a team in a different color than the same color, just, you know, when it comes to who's going to perform when the lights are on and shining the brightest. Yeah, let's get over to uh, the other D3 hockey team in Albany, Union Hockey. They're also off to a 1-2-1 and one start to begin their 2021 season. They lost both games at UNH opening weekend before defeating Colorado College uh, and tying with them the next night. So both squads getting a win in their third game and off to an identical record through these first two weekends. Yeah, and I was actually at that game that you mentioned, Joe, Friday night against Colorado College, uh, the first hockey game that I've been at um, probably since before COVID. So as a hockey fan, just generally excited to be there. And, you know, we've been to a number of union hockey games kind of throughout the years as well. So it was good to be back at Mesa rink. And uh, it was a great game against Colorado college, uh, incredible effort from the union RPI goaltender, Connor Murphy. Uh, so big shout out to, to him uh, without him. Uh, RPI probably would have been blown out of the water, to be honest with you. Uh, stood on his head for a number of saves. Um, he had like the, play of the week in ECAC hockey was one of his saves that he made. Colorado spent a lot of time around the net and he did a great job. Uh, had 34 saves, but you know, a lot of people, I think coming out of Mesa rink after the game were saying, man, Colorado really should have won that game. But Connor Murphy probably single-handedly won it for him. And uh, big thanks to him. He got goalie of the week and union actually swept player rookie and goalie of the week for the ACAC this past week. So Big uh, stick taps we'll give to Connor Murphy and uh, awesome, awesome first win for the Dutchman. Yeah, obviously a great win for uh, for Union. And Jay, you were at that game, like you said, you caught a puck too. Talk about I that did. experience. Yeah, so uh, I, I didn't actually catch it, but it, it was, uh, I think it was just cleared maybe off a stick, I think in Union's defensive zone. And uh, I went with Angelina, my girlfriend. We were sitting in the second row of like the upper level at Mesa Rink and it, uh, it hit like the railing that kind of separates like the first level and the second level and kind of just sat there like on the walkway that leads, you know, to the second level, you know, leads across and uh, sat there and, you know, was uh, using my instincts to hop on the puck. And uh, I think I got, got my first hockey puck. I think I don't think we've ever gotten a hockey puck. So that was a uh, that was pretty cool. Two part question for you. here: One, did you run to it? And two, how many kids did you have to curb stomp on to, to get it? Run might be a little bit of a, a hard term, maybe a brisk, maybe jog. A, a brisk jog. That's a better way to put it. Did not st- curb stomp any kids actually was handed the puck by the guy that was sitting like right next to where the puck landed. So he actually gave it to me and, and I handed it off to Angelina and, and we had a, a great experience out at Messer rink. Although they didn't have concessions, they did not have food. So something they said that they'll bring back later in the season, but uh, you know, just, just great to be back at a hockey game and, and seeing the engineers moving the goal horn, the, the excitement uh, wasn't a packed crowd all that much. You know, union has had, some, has had some great crowds over this, over the years, but um, just overall awesome. And, and it was a great hockey game to be at. Yeah. Sounds like it without a doubt. Jay, Saturday night, we saw union get their first tie of the year in three, three. Yeah. So it's really just a back and forth game. A number of guys that, you know, went back and forth in the penalty box and number of different chances for each team, but there really was a solid game and ultimately was a great finish, even though it was only two games on a, a, which is typically how it is in college hockey, but a great finish on a tremendous weekend of hockey, two really close games, RPI, you know, I think was probably lucky to come away one and one or one Oh, and one, I should say. Um, Cause I, they, they really got outplayed on both nights, but you know, Big shout out to Connor Murphy for keeping the Dutchman in it. And, you know, good for them to come away for uh, with a 3-3 tie. And uh, we'll see kind of which, what momentum they can gather heading into the, the remainder, the, the bulk of their schedule, and uh, what kind of home ice advantage that will bring at Messer Rink this season. Yeah, Jen, let's get into away from Albany here. 
as you said, a little more specifically, Clifton Park to the Big A, which seems to be a recurring subject here on Away from Albany. We got lots of news happening down in Atlanta. First off, we'll start here. Kevin Herter contract extension, four years, $65 million, begins next season for the Shenandoah product. Yeah, and and a lot of people, I think, just saying congratulations to Kevin. But really, I think if you look at this contract, you probably could have said he should have gotten more. Um, not really a whole lot, I think, to what people were probably expecting because I think people were maybe expecting him to come over a little little bit more than the 16 and a quarter annual value that he did get in that contract. But still some not, 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 not a bad little payday you get every year is, is 16 and a quarter million. And, you know, he had a great quote um, when he was spoke about that contract extension. And he said, the NBA does a good job of making a hundred million seem like not a lot of money to the rest of the world. My friends, my peers, my family, even $1 million is a lot of money. I tried to keep that in perspective throughout the whole thing. It's life-changing money. And I think that really just goes to show you the impact that this is going to have on Kevin to be able to make such a large, a large sum of money over these next four seasons. And even at the end of this contract, he's going to be like 27 years old. He's going to be in a great position for another huge payday in, you know, two or three years down the road. So um, big congratulations to Kevin. You know, he is well-deserved because he has put together a really solid career, uh, averaging right around 11 points and three and a half rebounds so far in the NBA. And he does a lot of great things that don't show up in the box. Well, he's, he's really like the hustle grit guy, plays some great defense, and uh, he's made a big impact on that Hawks, Hawks organization. Yeah, Jay, without a doubt. I mean, like you said, I, I love the quote, first off, obviously, that how the NBA makes $100 million seem like it's not a lot of money. Um, he just got paid, or he will be getting paid, $65 million, which is obviously such a great payday for, for anyone. But with you know, some sports fans these days may look at 65 million over four years and say not a whole lot and whatever it may be. But I don't know if he took a little hometown discount or if that's whatever the Hawks may have thought. But either way, $65 million is a lot of damn money. And I'm I'm glad Kevin Herter still so recognized that. And like you said, he's in line for a big payday in a few years. And even if that big payday doesn't come, he's still got 65 million to his name. It's still he's still set up for life. Keep that in mind without a doubt. But no, I really like the quote, how he said how even a million dollars is big to anyone. And he's going to be getting 65 of those one million dollars over these next four years. And Herter was, uh, I think, part of the part of the reason may have gotten uh, a longer contract is because of how well he ended up performing in those NBA finals last year. His name became a lot more popular and he's averaged 11.1 points per game and 3.5 rebounds in his NBA career. And a lot of lot, big bright future without a doubt over these next four years for Kevin Herter. Yeah. And it's going to be very exciting just to can see how he continues to trend upwards because he's done that through his first few seasons in the NBA. And this is a guy that this team really has arguably the best young core in the league and arguably the deepest roster in the Eastern conference. So this is a guy who could have an immense impact on the future of the Hawks and could, could really form a, a, a deep and tremendous legacy with the Atlanta Hawks because this is a team that you could see in the NBA finals in a couple seasons. And imagine if Kevin Herter gets one, two, three rings, you know, this is a guy that is really going to build a, a solid career and he is off to a great start. Yeah. Now staying down in Atlanta and sticking with the Shenandoah theme as well. Ian Anderson went nine and five, went nine and five with a 3.58 ERA in his first full big league season. And I, I heard his name among NL Rookie of the Year talks, and he even missed a month and a half from mid-July to the end of August with a shoulder inflammation. So even with that, still posted a, a good amount of wins. He still had his first full big league season after being called up in the postseason last year and throwing really well in the postseason last year and had his first full season, 3.58 ERI. Great year for the, for the Shenandoah, now Atlanta Braves right-handed pitcher. Yeah, and we talk of and and this is kind of a common theme, Joe. The, the Clifton Park, Shenandoah grad, now to Atlanta. You know, really young core team that could win a championship in a few years, could play a big part. Maybe even this year. Yeah, it's it must be something in the water up in Clifton Park. But you know, Ian has had a great career so far. You know, not only in the majors, but throughout his minor league career, he was obviously pretty fast tracked to the major leagues. But for you know, obviously a really good reason. And he's only, you know, 23 as well. He's, you know, three months, 
three months, about three months, Kevin, Kevin's uh, senior. So this is a guy that, you know, is going to be locked in for a few years just because he has to get service time to even become a free agent and who even knows where he'll end up in a few years. Um, but, you know, great, great season for his first big league campaign, a, a guy that, you know, was in rookie of the year talks and he could be a, a rising star, you know, amongst uh, what's a, a, a large crop of top talent uh, making their way through the big leagues right now. Yeah, without a doubt. He was he had a great NLDS game three start. He threw five innings, three hits, no runs, and six strikeouts while while getting the win as well against the Brewers on October 11th. And even lifetime, I want to touch on how, how much of a big game guy he is over these past couple of years for the Braves. His current postseason career stats, he's 3-0 and across six games with a 1.35 ERA through 26.2 innings. So he's got a 1.3 through six games, obviously a little smaller of a sample size between last postseason and now this postseason. But he, he's definitely got the potential without a doubt to be. I don't I don't know if this is far fetched, but he's got the potential to be one of the best big game pitchers in, in the MLB right now. And even in history, if, if he stays on this pace. Yeah. And, and one thing that teams or fans of teams will like about players is you could be horrible in the regular season, but if you show up when the time matters and you play your role and a bigger role in the playoffs and you help your team win, that's all they're going to care about. And Ian has definitely done that last postseason and this postseason. Um, he didn't have a great start earlier on in game two of the NLCS, but he only pitched three innings. They were saving him maybe for later this series, which he will be needed for tomorrow night uh, against Max Scherzer in game six. Um, but, you know, he's had a great regular season to go with that great postseason statistics. And it's going to be very exciting because, you know, like we said, this is a guy that could have the potential to pitch in a lot of big games over the next few seasons in Atlanta. And he's definitely made the case to be a guy that can perform in those in those situations. Yeah, especially with this Braves team, with all the injuries they've had this year, whether it be Ronald Acuna or Mike Soroka. And a lot of people counted this Braves team out and Ian Anderson being one of those guys that really stepping into the into the shoes and really proving that he belongs for for now and for a longer time but yeah Jay we even saw last year Ian Anderson had the chance to pitch the Braves into the World Series he, he got the ball in game seven of the NLCS against the Dodgers last year he didn't get the loss he didn't get the win he took the no decision but either way tomorrow you'd have to I mean I would say it's the biggest start of his life going against the World Series favorite Los Angeles Dodgers but he did the same thing last year as well and becoming a big game guy and yeah it's hard to get much bigger than the game seven to send your team to the world series or the championship like he did last year but it's going to be equally as as big of a game tomorrow and then like you said another big opportunity to send them to the world series and you know last year he faced dustin may who just opened pitched one inning in game seven in the nlcs and you know ian only pitched three innings last year in game seven as well but it was just a quick hook. You know, that's how it is in game sevens. You know, if you show any signs of struggling, the manager can't risk a long leash because it's game seven. It's when we go home. So huge game tomorrow. He's going to be really exciting to see. And I'm sure it's going to be electric down there in Atlanta on a Saturday night, uh, hoping to get their team into uh, the fall classic. Yeah, Jay, let's get into this backstory here and start to pivot to the George Marinopoulos side of this episode three. The backstory, Jay, how we know George. Um, you obviously graduated with him from Gellerland High School, and like you said, he's been your Q or he was your QB one uh, a few years back. But you can start this. Go for it, Jay. Go ahead. Yeah. So you know, George is a guy that I have known now for a few years. Uh, back when we were at Gellerland High School, you know, I spent a lot of time um, a part of the GHS media department. So I did a lot of broadcasting of games. You know, I covered some games writing as well for 518sports.com, and so. Um, and I was also good friends with Cody Custard, who uh, was one of the star players on that 2016, 17-ish uh, Garland football team. So I got to know some of the guys. You know, we built some relationships, you know, with with uh, Cody as a guy I was a good friend with, Steve Fedorchak, uh, who is a, a tremendous wide receiver and has, you know, had another great career at Western New England. George built a relationship with Brandon Indovino. We've known for a long time. He was a lineman. So the list goes on. And, uh, you know, George was a great guy. You know, uh, we spoke to him earlier this week. It's the first time that we've spoken really probably since we both graduated. But, you know, we, he hasn't really changed. You know, I think 
well, we'll you'll hear that in the interview, all the listeners, well, is that he's still a humble guy, team first. He doesn't take any credit for the success that he has had or his team has had. And he's, you know, giving it all to his teammates and his coaches for putting him in the right spots. And it was good to hear him talk about the success that he had at Gilderland a little bit under coach Penna and also at RPI and uh, the success that they had when he's been the quarterback there for the last few seasons. Yeah. I, I don't, I didn't know a whole lot about him going into it. Um, like you said, you graduated with him. You were around him a little more. Um, I was in the red sea for some of those football games when, when you guys were upperclassmen, when he was QB one at Gilderland. Um, I didn't know a whole lot. Um, two summers ago, I played in the three on three basketball tournament and he, was there and him and his team wiped the floor with uh, with me and my boys. Uh, anyways, um, I also know he's a, he's a rock solid guy because one of my buddies goes to Greek church with George, and you know they're they're buddies through that. And I've heard nothing great things about him. But coming into it, I thought he was going to be maybe a little bit more over the top, just being a a QB one and a captain and very humble guy, very kind, genuine guy, straight to the point. And a lot of his answers doesn't really beat around the bush with us at all. And just very direct and, like you said, selfless and giving lots of the shine to his coaches and his teammates and whether it was high school or college. And really, we wanted the interview to be about him, but it's just the kind of guy that doesn't really want the spotlight on him. Yeah, and I think, Joe, you know, knowing George that if you've seen him play football, either at Gitterland or RPI or wherever, you know that this is a guy who's always been very calm, very even keeled, you know, cool, calm, collected. You know, even someone like the biggest games, the biggest drives, two minute drills, like the biggest times where you expect a quarterback to, you know, even in high school, maybe have like those little bit of a shaky hands or be moving like a little quick and be like, what's going on? You know, George always had that cool head. He always, you know, was the leader of the team, controlled the huddle, you know, made sure that the guys were, you know, focused and driven. And that's what a QB does. And, you know, when you're a, a football player, you're playing any position you always look to your quarterback and say, Hey, how's my quarterback reacting? How's he feeling? And so when George, you know, even as a high school or even as a junior or a senior, you know, had that even, you know, cool, calm, collected, you know, kind of feel to him, you know, it just helps. And uh, he, he definitely showed that in the interview as well. You know, he didn't take, like I said, really any credit for, you know, the success that RPI or Gilliland had had. And, uh, you know, that's just the guy he is, you know, he was named captain a number of times, both the Gilliland and RPI for a reason. And uh, it was awesome to uh, kind of just see that, you know, show off the field as well in the interview, too. Yeah, Jay, without a doubt, I'm, I'm with you there. Great guy. Great interview as well. So without further ado, let's just send it in here. The George Marinopoulos interview, QB1 at RPI, two-year captain now with the engineers, as well as QB1 and captain at Gilderland High School, class of 2017, George Marinopoulos interview. Here we go. We now want to welcome on George Marinopoulos, Gilderland grad and now quarter, now QB1, captain and record holder for the RPI Engineers. George, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. All right, George, we're going to start off here. Uh, our interviews, we like to kind of take it back to the early days for our guests. So we want to know in a lot of small towns, you know, a lot of kids dream up of growing up being the quarterback for the local high school. So did you ever have those same aspirations as a kid? And uh, what was it like to have the success you did for the Dutchman? Um, never really grew up thinking about that. I always just loved playing football. Um, played a bunch of positions growing up. So always just wanted to be the best that I could be and always had a great time playing for coach Penna and all those guys over at Gilderland. Um, wouldn't change anything about it. Yeah. What was that like playing for coach Penna? I know he's, uh, obviously been a, a local kind of high school coaching legend in this community. And, uh, Obviously, he just had his first uh, Section 2 championship this past spring. So what was it like getting to play for him and uh, be a part of that program? Yeah, definitely. Um, can't say enough good things about Coach Pena. Um, awesome guy. Always wants the best for his players and his students in general, for that matter. Um, was super happy for him when he won that, uh, when he won the Section Championship in the spring, um, being his first one and everything. So texted him after that. Um, congratulated him and he deserves it. Yeah. Another thing I want to get into here. I saw you're the, uh, the Greek Orthodox youth, youth association president at St. Sophia Greek Orthodox church. So just talk about the level of pride you have in that, in that Greek heritage. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, been a huge part of me, my entire life. Uh, my whole family being Greek, um, growing up through the Greek church, um, could talk about it for hours, what it means to me, all the events that we do there. 
um, it's, it's just a huge part of who I am um, growing up and then still now too. Yeah. So growing up, George, I know you said you didn't, you, you didn't just play quarterback. So give us the, uh, the scouting report of George Marinopoulos, the youth football player and uh, what other positions did you play? Yeah. So when I was growing up, I was always the, the biggest kid on the block on, on my teams against other teams we played. So I played defensive end most years, played quarterback a couple of years, um, played tight end one year too. Um, so it was, it was always fun being in the trenches when I was younger, but then everyone caught up to me athletically. So switched to quarterback, kind of changed, changed gears a little bit. And once school ball started, that's when I've been playing Q since then. Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of defensive end were you? I mean, I know you, you're, you're a pretty good athlete for a quarterback, but you know, how good are you were getting off the edge and uh, getting to, uh, you know, trying to hit the quarterback where you are now. And when I was 10, 11 years old, I was pretty good at it, but <laughs> yeah, it was good. Awesome. Yeah. So growing up and now to this day, do you have either a, a player or a team you try to you root for, or you might model your game after? I wouldn't say anyone specifically. Um, I, I just I've always watched a lot of football. You try to take things here and there for that fit with kind of who you are as a player, kind of with your abilities. So um, just always trying to be a student of the game, pick up things here and there, watching things and always just enjoying um, watching the game pretty much for me. Yeah. So George, uh, you hold the score record at Gerdelin for passing yards in the season. So what was that like for you? Were you able just to, you know, read defenses? Is that kind of who you are as a QB or, you know, was it cause you had such good, uh, you know, kind of communications with your receivers? Was it the all around talent? What was it for you? Uh, I think back at Gerdelin, it was just the all around talent that we had in that year. Um, keep up with a bunch of those guys still, but we just had a great group of guys. We got together a lot in the off season and um, we just tried to make the most of it. And it was an awesome year for us. And I know that a couple guys will still text me here and there on Friday nights uh, talking about Gilliland games, that sort of thing. So we stay in touch. I think that shows how close of a group we are. And I think that the reason for our success that year was because of how tight knit we were. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about your Gilderland career. You were a, a two-sport athlete, also on the basketball team. Now, just to this day, five years out of high school, how much basketball skill you still have in your body? Not too much. Uh, we'll get runs in sometimes in the offseason. Um, and I'm like, all right, let's, let's get up and down the court a little bit. And after a couple times up and down, I'm like, all right, that's enough for me. So not too much hoop. Maybe after football ends, I'll um, start to pick that up again. But in these last few years, not, not a whole lot of run for me in basketball. So yeah. talking, we'll, we'll stick to the football field. Joe, did, did you want to go ahead there? Yeah. So you, you played your, uh, your high school football in front of the Red Sea, one of the, the, the better student sections in section two. Just talk about how that might've pushed you on Friday nights and just playing in such an electric atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. It was awesome playing in front of um, all your friends in the Red Sea every week. Um, you can't say enough about it. I feel like our senior year really got it um, back to the level that it used to be a few years prior. So um, def definitely just an awesome, awesome year all around for that. Um, obviously the task on hand is always on the field with your strategy, what you're doing with your guys and everything, but having that added boost, um, it never hurts. Yeah. So what, what went into your decision afterwards to attend RPI? Was it the proximity to home, the football program, the education, all the above, you know, what was that like for you? Yeah, for me, it was definitely all the above. Um, I definitely wanted to go to a place that, had a high academic standard, had a good football program. And then um, if it was close to home, that was kind of the last checkbox too. And RPI was um, kind, of, kind of an easy choice for me because it was the only school that really fit all three of those uh, choices for me. And I, I feel like um, it was the best fit for me. And being here four or five years later, I can definitely say it was it's the right place for me. Yeah. So what was that? Did you hear, you know, you, you talk about how important it is for, you know, the locality and being close to home. Did you hear from Union? Did you hear from Albany? What was your recruitment like? I mean, you know, you said that it was a pretty easy choice for you just because it checked off all those boxes. But, you know, how big of a hit were you coming out of high school and what was your recruitment like? Um, there were schools that came and visited um, throughout the late fall, early winter of um, my senior year. But a lot of schools talked to them, wasn't super interested, um, just wasn't really a right fit for a lot of them. Um, I reached out to RPI, I think it was before my senior season, 
Um, and we just got in contact then and we were kind of just communicating throughout the whole season. And then once the off season started coming on a visit and doing all that stuff. Um, so it was really just the best fit was here. Definitely heard from um, a few schools, but none of them really were uh, as good of a fit as here. Yeah. I want to get into your RPI career a little bit. You, you took over the starting role about halfway through your freshman year. So just talk about how that transition was into it and how did those nerves go away? Yeah, um, it was definitely a little bit, definitely a little bit of pressure. I felt going into that first game because we had lost a couple of games in a row. We had a really experienced squad that year, a lot of good players. So I kind of just wanted to come in and do my part because I knew that we had a lot of good players um, on every other position in the field. So I just didn't really want to, didn't want to have to do too much. Didn't want to do too much. Just kind of wanted to come in, play my game, uh, be complimentary to the rest of the team. And I feel like everyone meshed really well together that second half of the season. We were able to win the league and uh, play in a playoff game after that. But definitely just tried to come in, fit in with the guys, and um, just do what I could to help us win. Yeah, so what were some of those biggest differences that you recognized between the high school game and the college game? How I mean, you obviously, you know, kind of were just kind of trying to come in and be like that complimentary piece, like you said, but – how much of a transition was it for you and, you know, how easy of it was it to kind of pick up those, those college defenses? I know the scheme that you run at RPI is pretty similar to what you ran at Gilderlin, but how you know easy was the transition for you overall? Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, a big jump from the high school game playing at any level in college. So um, having a similar scheme at Gilderland as we have here, it was definitely helpful for me. Um, Coach Ben and those guys do a great job of, developing players, understanding football and that sort of thing. So um, the fact that our scheme could translate a little bit to here definitely helped me a bunch, but um, understanding uh, opposing defenses, the speed of the game, um, all that stuff, everything speeds up, everything happens faster. So um, it was a matter of just getting used to that throughout training camp, throughout practices during the season. And then once game started that too, Every, everything kind of has a different speed to it. So kind of just getting, um, up to speed on everything pretty much was the, was the biggest thing. How easy of, how easy was that for you to kind of get up to those different level of speeds and, you know, find your place in all of those? Um, I, I wouldn't say, I don't think easy is the right word to describe it. It's, it's always a challenge because there's just, there's always another mountain to climb, whether it's just trying to learn the playbook, whether it's trying to get on the travel bus, trying to start on Saturdays. Um, it's just a grind. It's, it's always a big time grind. And, it's always just embracing that, um, doing as much as you can, preparing yourself as much as you can, and just being uh, ready to go. Yeah, so now including your fifth year, you've now started four years at RPI. So just coming into your your career at RPI, did you kind of see it being four years worth of starting, or did you think you were going to be on the bench for a little while longer? How did you envision it? Um, when I came in, I just wanted to do the best that I could and see where, where the pieces fell, and I didn't really – Coming into my career, I didn't really have any expectations for when I would play, how much I would play, that sort of thing. I just just came in with the attitude of wanted to do the best I could, play the best I could, um, work as hard as I could, and see how everything fell from there. Yeah, definitely worked out decently well. Now you you were a, a, a captain at Gilderland for one year, and now two years of being a captain at RPI. So, what do you think makes you such a great captain, and how do you think that's also going to translate to your uh, your post football career? Um, it's, it means a lot to me, um, being voted a captain, uh, these last couple of years here, just because it means that the guys in the locker room believe in you. And, um, I think we have a great group of guys. We have a ton of leaders in our locker room. Um, and I feel like that's been a big part of our success this year is how much senior leadership we have. And, um, being thought of as a leader on the team, it's definitely leads to some opportunities for growth for sure, personally. And those experiences that, that I've had over really over the last few years have um, definitely prepared me to, to start whatever I'm going to do after college and um, kind of got a glimpse of it last year. I worked an internship and kind of leadership skills, you need them with what you're going to do. So um, kind of having this groundwork with football, it definitely leads to so many different avenues after school. Yeah. You talked about how, um, you know, all, all this, all this, the, uh, the leadership guys in the locker room right now, just you're in your fifth year, just talk about how much getting the extra year of eligibility and 
maybe having some other guys come back and do their fifth year. Just talk about how, you know, you have more leadership guys in the locker room now, just how the extra COVID years kind of helped that out. Yeah, definitely. Obviously no one wanted the season last year to be canceled, but um, that's what the university and most other schools deem safe for the year. So that's what we did. And we just tried to maximize what we could do. So I know, I know for me, it was kind of a no brainer to come back and get my last year of eligibility. And um, a lot of other guys thought the same thing. So I think it just speaks volumes to the culture we have here, the group of guys we have here, the coaching staff we have here that um, so many of the guys in my class decided to come back for another year um, because I, I just know it means a ton to all of us. So um, last year was definitely a challenge, not practicing, not playing games, but um, kind of being able to build something as a group um, definitely brought us a lot closer together and was something that was really good for us in the off season. Yeah. So George, you've put together a great career RPI. You know, you've thrown for almost 7,500 yards, 70 TDs. You're the number one in school history and completion percentage right now. Uh, so what do you attribute most of that success to? And uh, was this level of success something you envisioned before you even, you know, put on an engineer's uniform or you know, is it just kind of in, you know, the result of all the hard work and the grind that you've put in over these last few years? Um, I'd say the success comes with my teammates and coaches, always um we played with a lot of great players um a lot of guys that um kind of laid the groundwork for how a successful program a successful culture is so when my, my class came in as freshmen we came in and we won back-to-back league, league championships and um that d- doesn't just happen that's a result of your seniors of your leaders um putting in that work and understanding what it takes to get to that level. So I feel like um, my teammates above everything have been a big reason that um, I've had the success that I've had here and definitely our coaches too, putting us in the right spots to um, on Saturdays and all the other times too, they always put us in the right spots. So um, you can't say enough about the group that we have here and wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your decision to do a fifth year at RPI. Was it, or did you always see yourself getting that grad school degree, or do you kind of just want to play football as long as the NCAA is going to let you, or what? What? What's the plan behind it? Yeah, so I was always planning on getting the grad degree. Um, RPI's got a really good program here. It's two semesters after you finish your undergrad, and you get um, the master's degree. So definitely thought that that was going to be a good thing for me to do. So I was always planning on doing it. Um, and then when COVID happened, the season ended, I was scheduled to finish that grad degree in spring of this year. So I would have been done about five months ago at this point. So um, last fall, I decided to extend an internship that I had throughout the semester. So I just took last fall off to be able to extend it so that this would be my last semester. So graduating at the end of the semester, end of December. So that's that was the decision and glad we went through with it. Yeah, no, I want to talk a little bit about right now. Like you said, you, um, you're you graduating at the end of the semester. What's your everyday mentality right now? you got to try to balance winning football games and being competitive with also just, you know, enjoying the last couple months you have on campus. Yeah, definitely. Um, just trying to do everything we can to make this football season successful. Um, this is, um, I know for me and a lot of other guys in our locker room, this is what we enjoy most about coming to school here is being able to, be with the guys and be a part of this football program. So um, just trying to do everything we can be attentive in meetings and lifts, practices, everything, not trying to waste any days. Um, Just not looking ahead either, making every day count, taking things one day at a time in terms of school, classwork, and then football stuff or practices and everything. Um, So just trying to make the most of every event that we've got left. Yeah. So you uh, mentioned, you know, a number of times the success that, you know, the program has had before you and, you know, your first couple of years, you guys had, you know, a couple of great seasons. Um, and obviously, you know, in 2019, you may have had a little bit of a down year and then you didn't have a season last year, obviously. So what has that been like for you to get back to that level of success that you may have grown accustomed to? And, you know, how do you continue that success, you know, these final three regular season games and hopefully into the playoffs? Yeah, definitely. Um, 2019 um, didn't wrap up how we wanted it to, obviously. Um, Wanted to win some more games than that, uh, compete for a league title. So coming off of that, you really just want to get back on the field as as soon as you can. So in in the spring of that year, we were really active as a group, um, organizing our own workouts, 
um, spring ball, we were excited to come back and start spring ball right after. And then that's when the pandemic and everything started. So really delayed what we could do, but it, it was what it was. Um, we all know how it played out, but um, just being together as a group has been the biggest thing for us this season. I think um, working together, being together over the spring and the summer of this year has been awesome. So it's always just kept building for us. And I think that these last few weeks, we got to stick together as a team like we have for these last however many months it's been since this thing started. And we're going to, we're going to make the most of it. Just got to keep executing, practicing hard every day, being good in meetings and just taking care of business. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit uh, on the individual side. Now you, you were named a, a Campbell trophy semifinalist. It's the, the college football's premier scholar athlete award. So I saw it considers academic excellence, football success, and outstanding leadership. So how much does that mean to you just to be nominated for that, for that award? Yeah, it was um, definitely cool to be nominated. Definitely um, have heard about it a couple of times when you watch um, ESPN and some of the big time games. I think Justin Herbert got it a couple of years ago, Christian Wilkins, a couple of guys. Um, so I didn't realize that they nominated players from all three divisions for that. I thought it was just an, an FBS award. So seeing um, the semifinalist list, seeing that it's all divisions, it was it was something that was pretty cool. Yeah, now you were um... – you mentioned a minute ago those two internships you did or the, the internships you did. What were they and how do you, you know, getting your feet wet in, in a market you may try to or a career you may try to get into after college? How does um, how did those two go and how, how do you see it in the future? Yeah. So the big one that I did that I um, did all last fall was um, at a target distribution center in Amsterdam. Um, so I worked as an operations manager there and really got a lot of good experience and just working with people, working with the team, managing a team, um, all that sort of thing. So it just kind of develops you in a different way. Um, there's a product that needs to be done and you got this amount of time to do that. If things go wrong, you got to know uh, which plugs to pull to fix it, to make things go uphill for the day. So it was definitely a super good experience for me and gave me a lot of um, great experience coming out of here. Yeah. Sounds like that kind of, you know, fits you perfectly just being that leader and, you know, trying to lift your team up. Is, is that what you think of being possibly next for you? You know, are you hoping to continue your football career possibly in one way or another, or are you just looking to complete your master's and move on to the next chapter of your life? Yeah, for me, it's going to be completing the master's and moving on to the next chapter. Still got to figure out exactly what it's going to be, but got a couple months to figure that out. Yeah. So looking ahead now, George, I'm, me, and, me and my friends actually play an annual Thanksgiving uh, football game. So what do we need to do to get you on board this year to be all-time QB? Um, well, fingers crossed, we'll still be playing, so I won't be able to compete. True. That's that's my number one goal right now. But, hey, shoot me a text, and we'll figure something out. Oh, boy. Might have to get you on board. We'll see. We play at, uh, at Tower Center Park in Gilderland, so you can't say the distance is too far. We might have yeah, to get def- you on board. Definitely not too far. Yeah, so George, as a Gilderland native, what are a couple of your your favorite places in Gilderland, whether it be athletically, casually, things to do, places to go see, uh, you know, what what away from the field, what do you like to do? And, uh, you know, where are you going to visit when you have the time back in Gilderland? Um, just enjoy seeing um, friends from high school when, when everyone's home. Everyone's kind of gone their separate ways at this point. But when when people are home, love, love to connect with them. Um, I haven't been there since school, but Reddy's Deli across the street and that everyone knows about, that's always a good spot. Um, but yeah, back in Gilgoland, I always just love connecting with um, friends from high school that whenever they're there. All right. And then one last question here, George, something that we really like to do with our guests is called the up to the minute segment. So we want to know what's going on in your life away from the football field right now. So music you might be listening to, podcasts, books you might be reading, whatever. What, what's going on in George Marinopoulos' life right now off the football field? Um, off the football field, kind of listen to everything music-wise. Nothing really um, – nothing sticks out, just kind of wide variety of stuff. Um, going to start watching Narcos on Netflix. That's a show that I'm going to get into. Um, you know, a couple of my buddies are going to watch that. Um what else do we got? What else do we got? Football season is just so everything football. And it's like, you get away, we get a kind of um, half a day off on Sunday. And it's like, I spend the whole day just watching NFL football. So during the fall, it's really just zeroed in on football stuff. 
but um, definitely love to watch some Netflix shows in downtime, um, HBO. Um, and that's the biggest thing with, with school and football, just trying to find a little bit of time to relax, time to yourself. Um, and that's what I enjoy to do during, during that downtime. Yeah. So when you get those half days off on Sundays, any teams that you specifically like to watch either as a fan or just kind of schematically or any players, QBs, anyone you might be, you know, zoning in on. I, I love watching Aaron Rodgers every week. He's been my favorite quarterback for a while. Um, love watching the Cowboys play their offense this year. Super dynamic. Um, you got a super good group in Dallas. Really enjoy watching them play. Um, and then you got to watch Patrick Mahomes every week. He's always going to do something crazy. So those are my three three guys that I'm, I'm always watching every week. Yeah, George, that's all we have for you today. We appreciate you coming on again. Gilderland grad, now captain of the RPI Engineers football team, George Marinopoulos. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate the time. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, George. Thank you for listening to that George Marinopoulos interview. Jay, great interview. To wrap it up here and wrap up the interview as well as episode three here on the Palazzi Corner, just touch on briefly. What were some of your favorite things from that interview? Yeah, so I was it was really awesome to see that George, you know, was, was still kind of the same guy that we knew as high schoolers. You know, like we, we talked about before the interview, very cool, you know, never really liked to take credit. You know, it was very complimentary of his teammates and coaches and those that put him in positions to succeed. And it was awesome to see that in the interview. And uh, it's good to see that he's still kind of the same person as he is today, even, you know, as he's kind of grown as a football player and as a person, I think like we all do, you know, throughout our college years and, you know, kind of just naturally growing up and uh, you know, it, it's going to be awesome because I think he's, you know, put himself in some good positions too, as well as, you know, a, a really, you know, successful student athlete, you know, to have success post football and post grad. And, you know, I'm excited to see where, you know, his life journeys take him because I think he's going to be uh, um, you know, very successful in whatever he decides to do next. Yeah, Jay, great football player, great in the classroom, great leader as well. He even touched on his internships as well. So definitely a bright future after this semester for George Marinopoulos, without a doubt. We wish him the best of luck here as the engineers wrap up their football schedule and in his post-football career as well, wish him luck. But we know he probably doesn't really need it. Just great guy all in all. And that'll wrap up episode three here of the Palatsky Corner. With the George Marinopoulos interview, I'm Joey Platsky here with my brother, Jason. Appreciate you tuning in. Big interview next week with a member of a nationally ranked Division I program as well. That's coming your way here on the Palatsky Corner next week. For updates on our podcast, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Palatsky Corner. Make sure you do that and tune in next week for episode four. We're going to have another great interview coming your way.